You're listening to the Niners Bros, your home for post-game analysis, correcting media narratives, and keeping you up to date on all things San Francisco 49ers. What's up, guys? I'm Michael Ditchfield. I'm David Ditchfield, and we are the Niners Bros. On this week's episode, we break down the 49ers' 20-30 season-ending loss to the Cowboys in the divisional round, just as Skip Bayless predicted. Oh, 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 wait, sorry, that was in the alternate reality known as wishful thinking. Here in this reality, the 49ers beat the Cowboys 19-12, to ending their season for the second year in a row, and the Cinderella story continues as the 49ers will now head to Philadelphia for an NFC Championship clash with the Eagles and a trip to the Super Bowl on the line. Wow. Tough game for the Cowboys. Everybody said that Dak is back and that the Cowboys, that the media narrative this week fascinatingly shifted really strongly in favor of the Cowboys. Mm -hmm. There were still a few people picking the Niners, of course, but the national media narrative was leaning Cowboys on this one because they had one good game against a terrible, terrible Buccaneers team last week. Like, congratulations on that. Um, Another thing that's kind of interesting, a lot of people this year were calling for Shanahan's job when the team started out at three and four. Sure. And now here we are in the third NFC championship game in four years. And I think people are pumping the brakes a little bit. I mean, the diehards like the Grant Cones are always going (laughs) to say he's a terrible coach and, and should be unemployed. But it's really a tough argument to make at this point. Again, as we go to our third championship game with our third string quarterback and Brock Purdy now has the same number of playoff wins in his career as Tony Romo had in his career and Dak Prescott has. So Brock Purdy has entirely two weeks of playoff experience under his belt and again has never lost as a starter. Yeah, it's pretty crazy too. Fox Sports put out an interesting tweet. Uh, Kirk Cousins, Geno Smith, Derek Carr, Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, and Justin Herbert have played a combined 48 seasons of football. None of them have been to a conference title game. Brock Purdy is heading for one this weekend. It's just absolutely nuts. So, you know, before we get into a full breakdown of this game, as well as a bit of a preview of the Eagles, we do want to touch on the other games that happened this weekend. It wasn't quite as exciting as Wild Card Weekend, but the Chiefs did predictably dispense with the Jaguars 27-20. to You know, the only really notable thing in that game was that Patrick Mahomes was landed on and had a severe high ankle sprain, but managed to limp back into the game. But he looked like a bit of a statue in the pocket. So you wonder how much of a gamer he's going to be able to be next week in the AFC Championship game, where, you know, elsewhere they will be playing the Bengals, who came out and just looked way more prepared against the Bills. Yeah, we got three out of four correct, but the one we missed, we we definitely missed. Uh Snowboro was just on fire if you wanna if you wanna say that. Uh yeah, the the Bills just looked really bad in this one. Never competitive. Uh Tony Romo has been struggling a little bit um in this postseason. He's he's kind of been out in left field a little bit. But one thing he did say, which is true, is that you can kind of tell when a team is getting dominated up front offensively and defensively on the line, it's really difficult to come back in a game where you were just getting out physical the entire time. And yeah, the bills were never really close in this one. Yep. The only other game of course was the Eagles against the giants. And if you've ever seen the Johnny Depp version of Willy Wonka, the giants were definitely like Freddie Heimer. They were just, Oh, you're just lucky to be here. Aren't you? They got whooped 38 to seven could not get anything going. And more than that, they gave up 268 rushing yards to the Eagles. That game was just painful to watch at the end. You know, the Giants knew they were running the ball and still couldn't stop them. The Eagles finished 
with a whopping 150 rushing yards before contact alone. They went 10 for 14 on third down. It was just utter domination. Yeah, and we said, or I said, I thought, you know, they at least had a chance in this game. They were sort of riding that momentum and that emotional high. They've been playing well, but... Yeah, that was a beatdown. The the rushing thing was the most surprising. As I was watching that game, and there are multiple times where the Eagles are essentially just running out the clock because they're up so big, and it's 3rd and 12, or 3rd and 14, 3rd and 8, and they run it, and they pick up the first down. It's like um, you should not be picking up first downs when they know you're running and you have 14 yards to go just running at will, like you said, a massive amount of yards even prior to contact. So that is a losing recipe for sure. Um, they are going to have a much more difficult time against the number one 49ers uh, run defense, but they are on a roll for sure. Yeah. And we'll talk about this more, but I think if you're a Niners fan, you're hoping that Philadelphia makes the mistake that Dallas made coming into this game, which is reading their own press and thinking that it was just going to be easy after beating an inferior opponent. You know, Dallas, as you already mentioned, so hot against the Bucks, and then they came in and they flinched a little bit on offense. So you, you hope that we'll get a bit of that too. So yeah, I do think it's probably good for the 49ers to have that experience of a game where they are just stymied offensively. They really haven't had that. I mean, they had a, a somewhat low-scoring affair when they went out to Seattle on a short week, but as we've talked about, Brock Purdy was injured in that game, first time playing there. So, again, I, I don't remember what they scored offhand. I think it was 21 points, but certainly a, a lower-scoring effort than we're used to seeing. I think it's really good for Purdy especially to have a game where you just have to be patient. And uh, they were asking Kittle about it after the game and, you know, coming to to Purdy to sort of calm him down. And Juszczyk was saying, you know, you just got to be patient. All it takes is one play, one good sequence, one good good series. And I think it really is good for them to, to play an outstanding defensive team because Philly is really great defensively as well. Um, they're not as difficult uh, – to run against as the Cowboys are. So again, that's hopefully a, a good sign of our chances this week. If we can get the run game going, that should open up play action and kind of take some of the pressure off of Purdy. So before we get ahead of ourselves, let's take a moment to enjoy the game that was. Uh, some storylines for the 49ers coming into this matchup against Dallas. How would they contain Micah Parsons, who of course was mentioned with Bosa as a defensive player of the year candidate the whole year? How would they contain Dak after probably the best game of his life against the Bucks before? Um, and also looking forward to a rematch with the Cowboys after playing them in the playoffs last year. You know, And also, how would the extra rest help? That was a big story too, that the 49ers of course had two extra days of rest having played on Saturday you know, with the Cowboys having played Monday night. So on Dallas's side, you know, how would they respond to that short rest? How would they handle the momentum? A lot of discussion too about Dan Quinn and his familiarity with Shanahan from being on the same coaching staff for a couple of years. And would that give them an advantage? A lot of Cowboys players saying they wanted revenge and that they wanted San Francisco all along, you know, Cowboys fans chanting, we want Niners. Yeah, that was crazy to me. I can understand as a player to have that sort of machismo where you're like, oh, you know, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. We want the Niners. We want the Niners. Yeah. I get the players saying that. It's a little bit of a, you know, a scare tactic too, like pretending like you want to face the hottest team in football so that, you know, yeah. they're like, oh, ooh, well, you're not going to make the 49ers nervous, spoiler alert. But for the fans to be saying we want the Niners, it's like, 
have you guys been watching any football games yeah. this year? Like, if you're a fan, like, is that is that really what you want? You want to play a, a team that's won 11, 12 games in a row? I'm not sure about that. I think some of those fans who were chanting were some of the same ones who are now famous on TikTok for backing their SUV over their TV at the end of this game. <laughs> those are so stupid. My favorite one is the guy who's punching... So so they say he's punching a TV. It's a computer monitor. <laughs> it's like a $65 Dell computer monitor. And it's like, okay, well, he was going to throw that out anyway. So, you know, if it costs you $60 to go viral, I guess that's the price of fame. So ultimately, the biggest story, I don't know that you're going to hear this a lot heading into a playoff matchup, but the biggest storyline coming in was the kicker Yeah, <laughs> for the Cowboys. How would Maher rebound after four missed extra points um, so those were the things that we had an eye on it and certainly some shenanigans in pregame warm-ups too with that that was interesting so Maher went out there crazy early to kind of visualize or prepare just kind of get into the right headspace he was out there really early and he started warming up on the 49ers side so whether you want to call it bad sportsmanship or gamesmanship or you know maybe he was just out there too early there were a lot of coaches, a lot of players. Trent Williams was out there. The special teams coach Jim Fossil was out there getting pretty chippy um, as the 49ers players and, and staff kind of prevented Mar from, Maher from completing his warm-up. So we've seen Robbie Gold kick like that in some pretty uh, funny situations, kicking in between the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders, uh, almost taking off some Rams players' heads as he warms up. So it's funny when your guy does it, when it's happening to to your kicker. I guess it's maybe not as funny. But again, if you go out there super early and you're warming up on the other side of the field, you got to expect some kind of a pushback there. There was some media hyperbole too. people tweeting out that he'd missed 50% of his kicks and Jerry Jones had rushed down to the field to put his arm around him and try to, you know, psychologically fix him. But then people who were actually in the stadium were tweeting like, this is just, this is fake news. He made eight out of the 10, like calm down. So anyway, Dallas won the toss and deferred, which is kind of interesting. Um, The drive, for the 49ers did not go the way you would like for an opening drive in a playoff game. They went three and out. Um, Aaron Banks got beat really badly for a sack. Um, So immediately you're having to punt it back to Dallas. Fortunately, they didn't get off to a hot start either though. Bosa coming right out of the gate drew a hold on Ty Smith who led college football last year in holding penalties. Um, And then good pressure on Dak on the third down. He had to climb the pocket and he, he threw incomplete. So they punted it. Um, Their, their punter (laughs) anger, big leg punted it all the way down to the 18, but um, 49ers second drive they ran the ball three times and picked up a first down and then a really beautiful throw from Purdy to Kittle up the seam um, for 31 just dropped it in the bucket just really fantastic anticipation and he got a lot of credit Purdy did too for the whip in his game where he you know his his head just snaps you know footwork snaps um, so nice to see that that got all the way down to the Dallas 39 And then they did a play-action kind of boot to Purdy's left, which they've been doing a lot. You would think as a right-handed QB that they would do more rollouts to the right, but whether he's more comfortable or whether it's something they're seeing in the defense, they had him roll out to the left, and he took a deep shot to Ayuk. We both thought that Ayuk could have made a play on this. Ultimately, Deron Bland ended up breaking it up, but game of inches like that, that could have been a, a touchdown. Yeah, it was a tight window throw, obviously, into double coverage. The ball was catchable, though. You can say it was behind him, but on a throw that deep, it's kind of the receiver's job to time it. And Ayuk actually overran it a little bit. So if he stops just a bit sooner and jumps a little bit higher, tries to high point that, I think he actually has a really good chance of coming down with it. Was it a risky throw? Absolutely. Was it catchable? Yeah, it was. So at the end of the day, 
you'll take an incompletion there, of course, over an interception. Sure. But it was not as bad as it looked. That was a ball that was at least potentially catchable. Yeah. Drive stalls in the 49ers punt and uncharacteristically not great coverage ends up being a touchback, which we're spoiled. We really haven't seen a lot of that this year. Yeah, it bounced on the five and just took a really sort of a, an unlucky bounce. It, it bounced up really high and uh, over the goal line. So there was really no player that would have had a chance to stop that on the bounce. If you were going to stop it, you'd have to catch it yourself, which is really not something that you see very often at all in the NFL. A defender actually getting under the punt and catching it just doesn't happen. Yep. Really great sequence defensively for the 49ers on the Cowboys' second drive. They forced a third and nine, and then really good pressure just collapsing the pocket on Prescott. He had a check down available out to the left, but for some reason he kind of hitched, didn't look that way, and threw late um, on an out route out to Gallup. And give Diamador Lenore credit for someone who has taken a lot of flack um, – you know, he, he he was sticky in coverage, read the route all the way, and picks it off and returns it to the Dallas 21. Just great to see. And that's his second interception in as many playoff games. Dak was really staring down the receiver, and he did like a couple of crow hops and almost like he was waiting to throw it. I was really surprised that he actually chose to let that go. Uh, Gallup wasn't really coming back for it much at all, so Lenore was really the only player who even had a chance at that ball. Uh, it was a tough catch. Uh, I saw somebody post a uh, screenshot of a side-by-side of him and Dwight Clark with the catch. Yeah. Obviously, that's borderline blasphemy <laughs> if you're a 49ers fan, but the body posture and just the way that he's bent completely backwards at the top of his frame. So, you know, I, I get it. It's cool to see. It is also slightly bla- blasphemous, yeah. as I said, but... Uh, really, again, great to see Demo stepping up, responding to the criticism, which was fair, uh, as he has really been struggling down the stretch. But the last two games, he's looked outstanding. For sure. So again, the 49ers start with the ball on the 21. First play, they run a play action, and there's just nothing there. We'll talk about this more, but the Cowboys did a phenomenal job of shutting down our play action game. But Demarcus Lawrence ended up with a sack there, uh, forcing a third and 15. And then a really interesting... I don't know if you would call it a double move as much as it was a fake post from Brandon Ayuk where he just juked the the cornerback out of his shoes, uh, manages to turn that into like a, a, a sort of like a deep fake post comebacker. Purdy threw it in there with some zip. Um, so they converted that amazingly on third and 15. But then from first and goal, not a super impressive sequence. They do a check down to McCaffrey for one, a QB draw for Purdy, which just he, he seemed to hesitate. It went nowhere, had to throw it away on third down, and then you settle for a 26-yard field goal. So first points on the board, 3 nothing, but not not the, the sequence you were hoping for. Yeah, a little bit of up and downs there. You know, coming off of that interception from Lenore where you're practically in the red zone already, and when it gets to third and 15, you're like, oh, really? Like, that's the best we can do off a turnover? So Purdy comes up with that unbelievable throw to pick up the first down on third and forever. And then, as you said, unfortunately, the, the drive just stalls completely. So that was definitely a sign of things to come as the 49ers were going to really struggle with efficiency and just basically really struggle with everything they tried. Hats off to Dallas's defense. They did an unbelievable job in this game. For sure. Dallas's offense kind of woke up at that point. They had a 14-play, 74-yard drive coming out of that. Um, Amenahue was seen going to the locker room with an oblique, but did return, but that was kind of worrisome at the time. But they got a first down from CeeDee Lamb on an out route. Pollard had a 10-yarder. Noah Brown had a really nice 17-yard gain on sort of like an RPO deceptive play action. 
And then they had a, a fourth and one at San Francisco's 19. And we're seeing more and more teams do this, but they ran a jet sweep with CD lamb to, to pick it up. Um, give them credit. You know, the, it was, it was very, you know, very innovative gutsy call there and it paid off. And then Schultz caps off the drive with again, just a, a really good play design um, for a touchdown. <laughs> but, but did the 49ers go down seven to three at that point? They did not. They, they did not. Why? Because Brett Maher comes out onto the field, and yes, the extra point attempt was blocked, but as TV coverage showed, it would have been left anyway. And so the Cowboys looked pretty aggressive in that drive going for it on fourth, uh, you know, not kicking the field goal when they could. But a lot of that obviously had to do with Maher standing on the sidelines. The camera is panning over to him like every five (laughs) seconds. Uh, And yeah, like you said, that was going to be like a snap hook. It It was headed straight left. It wasn't end over end either. It was it was almost like a saucer, like a horizontal kind of a a thing, which, you know, if you're a kicker, you can at least kick a ball end over end. If it curves or it hooks, you know, that's one thing. But when you see the ball come off his foot like that, going straight left and spinning horizontally, he is not making solid contact with the ball. So um, certainly that's not what he was envisioning when he was warming up on our side of the field, getting the first one blocked. But ironically, I'm sure he was thankful that it was actually blocked instead of just missing it 10 feet to the left. Because if that's the case, he's done. Yeah, he's done at that point. Psychologically, how can you bounce back from that? 49ers get the ball with nine minutes and 25 seconds left in the second quarter. And they did put a bit of a drive together, but again, like Purdy had to scramble for one yard on a play action where there was just nothing there. They covered up play action so well, but they got a couple first downs, one from McCaffrey on a slant, another from Juwan Jennings on an out route where we picked up an extra 15 yards because he was kind of tackled and thrown to the ground, you know, four steps after going out of bounds. Um, But then an Aaron Banks holding, you know, a second really bad play for him scuttled that drive. So they were able to get a 17 yarder from Debo just to get back into field goal range, but still, you know, set up a 47 yarder that gold hit to make it six to six. So, and an interesting thing as well, obviously Brett Maher was the uh, topic of conversation as it pertains to kickers this week. But we talked earlier about how Shanahan was sort of on the hot seat, at least from the fans perspective, Uh, somebody that the fans really love to complain about. Another guy who has been much maligned this year is Robbie Gold. Uh, He did not have his best year, obviously. He's getting older. I believe in terms of field goal percentage, he was ranked about 17th this year, so not a spectacular year by any stretch. Um, However, we know that he did have at least two or three that were blocked, um, so that's obviously going to drive your percentage down. That being said... How glad were you, 49ers fans, that Robbie Gold is on your team and not Brett Maher, who had a much better regular season sure. than Robbie Gold? So do you want to know what Robbie Gold's uh, all-time playoff numbers are? Hit me. So he has kicked 25. He has attempted 25 field goals, and he has attempted 37 extra points. Do you know how many he's made? All, all Every yeah. <laughs> single one of them. Sure. He has never missed a field goal or an extra point in the postseason. So, you know, worth worth his weight in gold, I would say, now that we're talking about this and drawing attention to it, he's bound to miss an extra point next week. But, again, a guy who has been really criticized for taking a bunch of money and and perhaps underperforming, but, boy, was he huge in this game. Unbelievable. I think you appreciate the 
precision approach that he takes. You know, we've heard stories of Greg Maddox in baseball that he used to, you know, while everyone else was just kind of shagging in the outfield, he would like write a dot on the wall and he would try to hit the dot that he was trying to be that precise with his accuracy. Well, Robbie Gold doesn't just practice kicking field goals. He sets up in the side of the end zone. Have you guys seen this on Twitter? It's really cool. He sets up in the side of the end zone and then his goal is to try to hit the post. So he's trying to kick within a you know, a, a one foot area and, yep. and clearly paying off that, that focus and that determination to be just perfect. So Dallas had probably the most pivotal drive of the game following that. They had a return to the 35. Um, Ezekiel Elliott had an eight yarder um, and then a 15 yard penalty. Andre Greenlaw hitting him late, which, you know, that every, was... <laughs> every time it happens, I'm just worried that it's like, this is going to be symmetry. Like this is how we started our season with Dre Greenlaw personal fouls. And this is going to be the death of us. Um, just very frustrating. But then third and seven from the 38, um, Greenlaw faked a blitz, but then rushed out to, to stop Pollard, forcing a, a fourth and four. But then Dak scrambles up the middle for nine. So next play, Pollard had an eight-yard reception all the way down inside the red zone to the San Francisco 18. But this was the play that you could argue changed the game. Yep. Um, Pollard on that play, I think it was Ward lands on his ankle, high ankle sprain, obviously. You know, you know, there was nothing else that could be. You've seen that play. It's not that different from what happened to Mahomes earlier in the weekend. And he comes out of the game. Just a, a huge, huge blow to Dallas and their offense. Uh, and then on the very next play, Dak, horrible against zone, doesn't see that Jimmy Ward sneaks into his throwing lane, tips it up into the air, and Fred Warner picks it off with a minute and 24 seconds left. Just huge, huge, those two plays, more more critical probably than anything else in deciding this game. And we found out after the game it was actually worse than that high ankle sprain too. It was actually a broken leg. I will be candid with you guys. I got like a B minus in anatomy and physiology, and that was a long time ago. So I don't remember if it was his femur or fibula. I could not tell you if that's a bone in your arm or your leg. I just simply cannot remember, but he did break his leg. So obviously you don't want to beat a team because their star player gets hurt. But how much did we talk about Tony Pollard last week? And basically what we said is if they choose to feature Ezekiel Elliott in this game over Tony Pollard, they're dumb and they're going to lose. Um, So, immediately right out of the gate we saw the Cowboys rolling with Pollard and it was very very clear that Ezekiel Elliott was not part of the game plan until he was kind of thrust into action after that injury which for Pollard and for the Cowboys uh, was devastating yep so again the 49ers get the ball with a minute and 24 seconds left but Dallas still had all their timeouts a lot of debate and discussion on how Kyle Shanahan handled this next sequence but after Debo um picked up an eight yarder and then McCaffrey for one the 49ers didn't call timeouts they just kind of let clock bleed and I think the obvious sort of decision there was that you know what if we don't get this first down the last thing in the world you want to do coming off a a turnover is give the ball right back to Dallas with time to score and then you know if they score there they get the ball back to start the second half you cannot afford it's a tie game at that point if you just say, well, we have to be aggressive here, we have to try to score, and then instead you give up a score and then another one coming out, you do not want to be down two scores going up against this Dallas pass rush. So a lot of whining online about it, but I know for you and I, as much as we want Shanahan to be aggressive, we actually agreed with that, and it didn't hinder them anyway. They hit Debo on a slant for 10 to the San Francisco 47. Um, 
And then <laughs> one unfortunate sort of aside here, Parsons did manhandle McGlinchey even after a chip block from George Kittle forcing a duck that was incomplete. But with 19 seconds left, Purdy with a great throw hit JJ on one of the only crossers that we actually got a man open. But it was a 21-yarder you know, that got them into field goal range. And then they did two throwaways. One of them, like Purdy, I don't know what he was doing. Like clearly Shanahan was just having him bleed a little bit of clock, but he threw it away so late. There was only one second left on the clock. Shanahan definitely letting him hear about that. But gold kicks a 50-yarder, and you go into halftime up 9-6. to And also shots on the sideline of Pollard being taken off with an air cast. So there was no doubt like Pollard is not coming back. Yeah. So a couple of things I want to go back to there. So the first thing uh, is Mike McGlinchey. So... Um, if you see the still shots of this, um, that's definitely going to be in his, um, hall of shame. If you will, he is literally going straight sideways. (laughs) He's like four feet off the ground. His feet are higher up than his head. Yeah. His feet are above his head and he's like four feet off the ground. It just got absolutely decked. That's like, you know, like when a movie starts and there's like a, a, the main character is in some kind of predicament and you hear like a record scratch and the the movie stops. Mm. Yeah. And then the narrator comes on or the person says, you know, well, you're probably wondering how I got in this situation. I, that's what I was visualizing as I'm seeing McGlinchey just floating in the air, you know, before he uh, unceremoniously lands on his back. So, yeah, that was a, a pretty rough uh, sequence there for McGlinchey. Another thing I did want to comment on was you mentioned Shanahan's clock management. One of the things we really enjoy doing, and it's kind of in the title of our podcast, is we really like debunking media narratives. And I saw so, so many people, like actual journalists, media guys, in addition to the fans, using the phrase, you know, mismanagement or mm-hmm. didn't didn't handle the clock, mismanage the clock. Obviously, you kind of went over the, the advantages or, or why you do that, but... That one frustrated me so much. It's just so dumb. Um, If you are Patrick Mahomes and you have Tyreek Hill, then it doesn't matter what the score in the game is. It doesn't matter if you're ahead or behind. It doesn't matter how much clock is left. If you are working with Brock Purdy and you have not been able to get anything going on offense all game, Dallas is playing elite defense right now. You're ahead or, you know, about to, about to go ahead. It's, I just can't understand how the criticism of Shanahan there is so fierce. Uh, just it's yep. easy. It's easy to second guess, you know, these things. And, and Shanahan said, well, that's one of those things where if I was a fan, it would frustrate me too. But I'm glad you guys didn't have to find out why we did that yep. um, by, you know, Dallas getting the ball back. Um, in terms of debunking media narratives, we haven't had to do that as much lately because when you're winning 11 games in a sure, row there's no second guessing yeah there's no second guessing when you've won 11 games in a row so you don't have all these idiot takes that are just being way too critical or just stupid about Rain Shanahan shifting. or or anybody else yeah, yeah so so in terms of debunking media narratives we haven't had a lot of material uh, as the 49ers have uh, basically not lost in three months yeah so at halftime Dak was 12 of 16 which sounds really good but it was for 81 yards you know a 5.1 yard per attempt average and also with two interceptions obviously we mentioned Pollard being hurt that was kind of the big story you knew that coming out in the second half um, you know Zeke had carried it four times for nine yards and knowing that we did not have to worry about their running game was huge for the 49ers you know Debo had 15 yards rushing 45 yards receiving Purdy was 12 of 19 
although, I mean, included in that were intentional throwaways to just run off a few seconds of clock. Uh, but 129 yards, McCaffrey was averaging 1.6 yards per carry and could not get anything going. I will say one kind of media narrative that we can go ahead and debunk. Colin Cowherd and some others, you know, talking about, well, Purdy, you know, coming out tight. This is different. A Dallas defense. Purdy did not look tight or antsy in the pocket to me at all. Purdy looked to me like someone who is having a lot of play action shots called for him. And there's nothing there. Two and three man routes where Dallas had everyone doubled up. So, so Purdy, he looked a little bit, I'll give you that he looked a little bit tight against Seattle. To me, he didn't look tight. He looked like a veteran quarterback who just took his medicine and realized that there was nowhere to go with the ball in this game. And as well as Dallas played, it's remarkable that Purdy did not throw any interceptions in this game. Um, So you talk about the quarterbacks, every quarterback he's gone up against, he has outplayed basically, whether it's the goat or Dak Prescott or whoever, Basically, he is rising to the occasion, and that's the most important thing. You can't have turnovers in a game like this where every possession counts and both defenses are on fire. Yep. So again, the 49ers go into halftime up 9-6. to six. Cowboys get the ball first, and they didn't really do much with it. They had one first down and then a line drive punt to the San Francisco 12. And when the 49ers signed Ray Ray McLeod, some people mentioned his fumble issues, and we were delighted to see that that was not an issue at all during the regular season he picked a really terrible time to have his first fumble and gives the ball right back to Dallas. They recover at the 21. Fortunately, the defense kind of bared down and held them to a, you know, a 25 yard field goal from Maher after Ezekiel Elliott almost tipped the ball up in the air to 49ers defenders, but they tie the game nine to nine. They're super lucky that that was not worse, but just, I love Ray Ray and and I, you can't discredit what he's done, but that was really bad timing for that. And so close to the end zone as well. To be fair, when you say it's a line drive punt, we've all seen that. We know what that means. This was one where he actually caught the punt over his head. And if he hadn't caught it, it's like it would have gone through the back of the end zone. So I guess you could say, you know, maybe let it go there, but that's tough too. So he, he did a great job to actually catch the ball, but never really kind of protected it or secured it and it was knocked out almost immediately so tough break there and as you said horrendous timing he had a bit of redemption on the ensuing kickoff where he had a nice 53 yard return but san francisco was not able to really make much of out of it they had a sort of a fake toss to debo where they they sort of faked a toss held onto it for a second and then ran a counter play with him yeah that was not fooled at all that looked really weird i'm not sure what that was supposed to look like but uh yeah it looked like a loss of four yards (laughs) um and then on third and nine Purdy kind of bailed in the face of a blitz and threw it out of bounds you know where he was just throwing in the direction of mccaffrey not even really competitive there on third and nine so that's kind of disappointing Uh, they punt there not wishnowski's best punt it rolled at the or I, I should say it landed at the 20 and rolled 11 yards down to the dallas nine pretty pretty fortunate yeah lucky there not wishnowski's best game by any stretch after that uh, touchback if that one had hit at the 20 and bounced back towards us that would have been uh, pretty rough there yep so dallas their seventh drive of the game they started with a play that happens seemingly in every 49ers game, and that is we, we seem to always give up at least one bomb. Prescott, one of his only really great throws of the game, but he throws a bomb to Lamb for 46 yards, where it was maybe a touch underthrown, you know, causing Lenore to run into him. So there was a, a defensive pass interference. That was yeah, Lenore, Lenore got burned for sure, and as he's trying to catch up, he just runs right into C.D. Lamb. So C.D. Lamb obviously was the star of the game for Dallas. He's their best receiver, and it's not even close. You can see they are really uh, missing Amari Cooper. That's you know nothing against Michael Gallup, who's also a you know a really solid number two kind of wide receiver. But yep. 
uh, when C.D. Lamb is your only option, they're definitely limited. And and after Pollard goes out as well, that's where you can really kind of key in on Lamb and make them do something else. Yep. Perhaps you know, apart from the two interceptions, the the defensive play of the game and one that's being talked about a lot on Sports Center and NFL Network. At the near the end of that drive, Fred Warner comes up to the line of scrimmage, fakes a blitz, and then rushes out to carry <laughs> CD Lamb the on the Lord. opposite hash. Yeah, on the opposite hash, playing in the slot, Warner rushes out to take him all the way down, you know, inside the red zone and contest the catch, and ultimately the ball falls incomplete. It's just ridiculous to have a middle like to have a middle linebacker who can cover in the slot at all like on a on an out route or on a, a comeback, even that is impressive. But to have a linebacker who can be faking blitz and still carry a, like a, a seam go route is just absurd. Yeah, and he leads the league. At, you'll have to forgive me. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but he leads the league in completions you know over expectation so in terms of balls that you would expect under normal circumstances to be completed he's like minus 15 and I think uh, Milano for the Bills is is behind him like two or three full percentage points behind him in terms of uh, breaking up those passes or covering them so well that you've got a really like a negative chance of completing a pass when you're throwing it into coverage against Warner. Some people pointing out that, you know, Prescott saw the blitz, the, the the defensive back blitzing from that side and Warner rushing back and just knew that, that okay, that's, that's a that, mismatch. Yeah, that, that's a mismatch. That's got to go to CeeDee Lamb. If he had looked to his left, T.Y. Hilton was open, you know, on that side. Greenlaw did not carry T.Y. Hilton. So Lenore had essentially two wide receivers that he had to cover. So, but you don't blame Prescott. You see a, a corner blitz coming off to your right and a linebacker frantically rushing to get and back. And so you, you think, throw it to your best you player. That, yeah. You think that's a walk in touchdown, but not so. So good for Fred Warner. What a, what a play, you know, in, in the most important game of the year to date, you know, elimination on the line. This was his amazing. best game. It's not even close. Yep, uh, as sure. good as he is, he was outstanding in this game. Yep. And the 49ers answered there. I, I think you could feel some momentum. They go on a 10-play, 91-yard drive and eat up six minutes of clock. So starting from their own nine, um, (laughs) Demarcus Lawrence had a neutral zone infraction, and we almost lost our minds because the the referee, Vinovich, he stands up and and calls a false start on Trent Williams, and we're like, hello, hello, (laughs) did you not not see? Uh, It was kind of... Usually they talk about those things first, uh, but fortunately the refs did have a conversation about it and then he changed the call, which which was right. I, I was losing my mind there. And then later on that drive, the offensive play of the game for sure. Play action, again, none of the guys who are part of the route concept are open and Kittle just leaks out. Purdy sees him last second, throws it to him. Kittle gets just fingertips of one hand on it bobbles it up in the air and a really interesting stat if you want to try to picture this if you didn't see it or if you haven't watched the highlights from the time that Kittle made contact with the ball until he actually secured it <laughs> he ran 13 yards that was a very stressful Wild. 13 yards to to watch uh, but that made it all the way down to the Dallas 49 across midfield I will say some Cowboys fans are posting videos of this um, full of profanity saying that Kittle should have been an ineligible man because he's covered up by Juszczyk he's not Juszczyk is clearly behind recess whether, whether yeah. he's like a full yard behind him but this was not a play where the cowboys you know didn't guard kittle because they they thought he was ineligible the the referees would not have missed that afterwards you know it's just not something that would happen but yeah a lot of hurt feelings on from from cowboys twitter there but um finally the run game got going after that point um down inside the, the dallas 20 they um 
they did have a, a third and eight where Purdy was sacked, but it was negated by a holding where this was kind of like the George Kittle drive in between that 30 yard catch. And then he was almost tackled, yeah. <laughs> you know, on that third down, which is why Purdy had nowhere to go with the ball. So they pick up the first down on the defensive holding. And then they got a defensive holding on uh, the Cowboys defensive tackle Hankins, who was purposely trying to, you know, pull two two offensive linemen with him. Yeah, so you, don't you don't see, see that often. Yeah, you don't see defensive holding on the defensive line very often. It it is something that's called occasionally, but it's obviously far less common than holding on the offensive line. So we'll take it. Um, <laughs> anytime the the Cowboys want to get a penalty, we will we will take it. Yep. Juice had a nice carry for eight yards up the gut down to the Dallas two, and then McCaffrey caps off the drive with an untouched two-yard touchdown at the middle, and the 49ers go up 16-12. to 12. There's still 14 minutes and 58 seconds left in the fourth quarter. And uh, real quick, that was that was a redemption moment for McGlinchey, too. He was really outstanding, if, if you want to go back and watch that replay. So uh, he helps out blocking left on I, – I think it was Burford was in the game at that point. So he helps out on Burford's guy and then immediately flips over to the other side and blocks Vander Esch, and that's the gap that uh, McCaffrey ran through. So basically he was responsible for both of the key blocks on that play, and McCaffrey goes into the end zone untouched. Super important for the 49ers to get a touchdown there. It was noted that that was the first time since Denver that we'd gone six offensive drives without a touchdown. So another funny thing, I have to say, it. You know, we are both huge George Kittle fans. We were both wearing our George Kittle jerseys among the several that we had to choose from. But after McCaffrey scored, he kind of threw the ball or, or spiked it or whatever, and so George Kittle, you can see this on a, on a replay as well if, if you check it out online, but George Kittle goes and does that thing where he goes to fair catch the ball, you know, after it's, you know, bouncing and he catches the ball and pretends he got a touchdown and then he gives the ball to Jerry Rice, uh, the goat in the stands. So that was a, a pretty funny and very cool moment. Yeah. I should mention one other funny moment um, that actually happened in that drive that I, I forgot to mention was um, there was a ball that was tipped at the line that hit Diggs in the hands and Trevon Diggs if if he it was inside the red zone i think it was right before um the the holding on kittle if yeah, he, he intercepts that just completely changes the huge turning game, point so. yeah and he doesn't miss that was about as easy an interception as he he would have had all year so definitely dodged a bullet yeah. on that one so i'd be remiss if i didn't mention that it was a, a potential turning point in the game coming out of that um for dallas again there was still plenty of time left in the fourth quarter and they got off to a good start with a 43 yard return from turpin kick coverage continues to be an issue for the 49ers and Robbie Gold actually took a shot on that <laughs> if Turpin had been Debo he would have run through Gold or stiff-armed him instead he just kind of or around him or, or anything yeah kind of weird to watch but um Zeke Elliott with a huge first down there where um just second effort kind of gets it and then a 17 yarder to CD Lamb put them in field goal range um but the drive kind of stalled Hufunga had a really nice uh, blitz that forced uh, Prescott up, but it kind of ended the play. Alshire getting getting credit for the sack. I mean, Dak was just kind of falling forward at that point, trying not to lose more yards. And then Maher, give him credit. He bounced back. He hit a 43-yarder there to make it 12 to 16 with 11 minutes and eight seconds left. So, and good for him. You know, it's it's funny and amusing and, you know, must-see TV. Like, people, you know, want to watch a train crash. Uh, but good for him, obviously. We don't want to see anybody having like a midlife crisis or psychological breakdown, a career-ending, yeah. you know, humiliating experience. So good for him to kind of get back on the horse and, and make a few kicks there. Yeah, as we talked about this game, I think the thing I told you was when I first saw 
Dallas missing all these extra points on Monday night, I thought, well, I mean, this could be a real edge for us. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to win that way. I don't want the the media narrative coming out of this game to be that that we've got a shot because Dallas, you know, has no kicker. I, I just want to beat the Cowboys yeah. in fair and square. So huge, huge, huge second drive in a row where Purdy just executes the offense. Um, really, really important. They put together a 13 play drive that bled seven minutes and 59 seconds off the clock. Um, what else can you say? But Kittle with a 17-yarder um, for a first down. Mitchell with an eight-yard run up the middle. And you could see Dallas finally starting to, to wear down a little bit. And this is finally where we got the run game going. It didn't matter what we tried, inside, outside, running, passing, play action. Literally nothing worked in this game. But McCaffrey uh, was sitting towards the end. They showed him with some kind of a like a device, whether it was a like a heater or a warmer, or maybe it had like those little stim uh, packs in there to kind of uh, loosen or relax the muscle. But McCaffrey was having some calf cramps or, or a calf bruise, so he definitely saw fewer carries down the stretch in this one. But Elijah Mitchell came in and did as well as anybody could against that Dallas defense. Yep. On a pivotal third and two there, the 49ers, again, just tremendous confidence in Purdy. They go empty, uh, which puts Brandon Ayuk in the slot against Anthony Barr, and that's a matchup you're going to win pretty much every time. So they picked up a nine-yard first down there. And then a few more runs from Mitchell. Leighton Vander Esch, you know, reached out with an arm and prevented what could have been a breakaway run. And then the 49ers took a weird timeout, you know, had a couple more you know, plays a McCaffrey first down catch, uh, Elijah Mitchell for eight yards, but the drive kind of stalled a little bit. You had like a, a busted play to Debo where it was supposed to be a screen, but Debo didn't know that he was the intended target. It was very strange. Um, but then a scramble from Purdy gets them a little bit closer and they kick a field goal to go up 19 to 12. So, you know, from there, um, good kick coverage finally from the 49ers kept Dallas um, with a return to the 18 with two minutes and 59 seconds left. Greenlaw almost ended this game with a pick six yeah, jumped right in front but couldn't hang on. That was just as easy a ball to catch as uh, the one that Dallas missed. So, you know, when you see opportunities like that, we are no strangers to uh, missed interceptions in the playoffs. And that one hurt. Uh, Greenlaw really uh, sold it and, and just jumped the route. That was an easy, easy interception, and you could see it on his face afterwards. He knows he should have had that, and there was nothing but green grass in front of him. That would have been a pick six for sure. Yep. That drive ends for the Cowboys with a a sack from Sanson Ebukam, and Dallas just bled out 40 seconds there. They still had the two-minute warning but didn't really call a timeout. Just a very curious decision. But they punted 56 yards um, to the 26. Yeah, everyone's talking about Shanahan's clock management, but yeah. Yeah, just crazy that they didn't try to stop the clock there. But then the 49ers come out first play of the drive, and it's a pass to Kittle for five yards, and then he picks up another 11 in yards after the catch. You just love to see that before the two-minute warning coming out aggressive. Uh, After that, uh, Mitchell had a run for one, and then a 13-yarder for a first down, which would have been amazing, but he runs out of bounds, and they don't have to take any timeouts. Yeah, that was crazy. Like When that happens, you're like, get down, get down, get down, get down. Obviously, in the heat of the moment, he's a very young player as well. Uh, hasn't ever played a full NFL season due to injury. Um, so, yeah, you would love to see him just literally fall down in bounds, and it's pretty much game over at that point. But he runs out of bounds. And the problem is, you know, if you're running and you make it down to the 10 or the 5, sure, you know, go out of bounds. It's fine. You're in field goal range. This game's over. You might get a touchdown anyway, but the Niners were nowhere near field goal range at that point. So to go out of bounds, 
that is a potentially game-ending kind of mistake. Yeah. Three plays later, you know, the 49ers had gained less than two yards and had to punt it back to Dallas with 45 seconds left. I mean, fortunately, they had gained enough that that it was all the way down to the Dallas six. Um, But, you know, the punt was a line drive, and it could have been a touchback if, if Turpin had let it go. So, you know, you still feel pretty good about it, but, you know, we've seen Mahomes and some of these guys mount crazy rallies. So with 45 seconds left and no timeouts, the very first play, Prescott almost takes a safety from Eric Armstead, who's chasing him out. And Armstead, like, sort of tut- like taps him but doesn't try to tackle him. He said afterwards he was afraid of getting a penalty. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly what I told you during the game. It, it, it's sickening to see that it's like, okay, well, that's a safety game over, but he's trying not to get one of those BS roughing the passer calls. So he just barely makes contact with him and Dak escapes. So, so frustrating to see, but you know, it's, you're going to expect to see more of that until they dial it back on the roughing the passer calls, yeah. which they probably will never do. This Cowboys drive was the most Cowboys drive ever though, because their tight end Schultz had a nine yarder to try to get out of bounds, but Mooney Ward knocked him backward and it was like he didn't realize he had to fight through that contact. So the clock keeps running. And then, you know, they have to just sort of take an incomplete deep shot to Gallup. And now there's only 14 seconds left. And Mooney Ward too, you know. Give him credit, he knew. He knew, he absolutely did. As soon as he pushed him, as soon as he pushed him back, he's waving his arms everywhere to make sure that the officials know, hey, that that was forward progress, the clock keeps going. So super heads up play from him there too. Schultz wasn't done with sideline fails. He had a 15 yarder after that, but failed to get both feet in bounds, so it was reversed and brought. Are back. you going to give me props on that one? Yeah, you noticed that. You're like his feet weren't in. His feet weren't in. I was like, ah, I think they probably were. And sure enough, replay showed his foot came up too. I soon. did. I called that in real time. So, so NFL officiating crew, if you're looking for a stud, look no further. Yeah. So that would have gotten Dallas to their own forty. You know, potentially in sort of ish hail mary range, but instead you move them back 15 yards and they're forced to do a lateral play. The 49ers call a timeout <laughs> after they line up with Zeke Elliott at center and a bunch of offensive linemen on either side of the formation, very clearly setting up for some sort of bizarre lateral play. But the 49ers wisely after that timeout just pulled all of their defensive linemen. Why? You know, clearly it's a lateral situation. Put all your guys with 4-4 four, four and 4-5 four, yep. speed out there. They literally did not have a defensive lineman on the field. It was all their reserve uh, linebackers and safeties, cornerbacks, all your speed guys there. So... That was so wild. You know, when you come out in a bizarre, ridiculous-looking formation like that and the 49ers call timeout, you're like, okay, so now now that you've shown them that bizarre look to get them to call timeout, you're going to go with, like, an actual play that works, right? Nah. This is like shades of Pat McAfee. I've been having all the fun doing the drive-by-drive. Do you want to take a crack at this and just describe <laughs> the, the, the genius of, of Keller Moore who's interviewing for a head coaching job today? It's so bizarre. I don't understand the single lineman who is not a lineman. Like you said, you literally have all of your offensive linemen, these 300-pound guys at the top of the screen, just basically standing there on the sideline. Like, why are you even on the field? Like, what is the point of that? And you said Pat McAfee. McAfee commented on this, of course, and said, well, hey, ours at least was never supposed to be snapped. So that's the difference. When you have one guy snapping the ball and he is the entire offensive line. Poor Zeke. Like, what is he supposed to do? So Al Shire lines up right across from him, and Al Shire's probably thinking, like, well, there's no way he's snapping this, right? Like, something's going to happen. And he just snaps it to Dak. So 
Al Shair just pushes him flat on his butt and almost gets to Dak before he throws it. And then Dak is under pressure. There are two guys closing in on him while his entire offensive line is standing on the sidelines. Just watching. And he throws it to Turpin for like nine yards. Jimmy Ward comes up and plasters him immediately. Game over. And you and I just laughed out loud. It's hilarious. Like, what the heck was that play? Uh, one of the things I posted on Twitter is I would really love to know what that play looked like all week in practice. How is that how you end your season? You talk about a WTF moment. Like, (laughs) seriously, what was that? And even more bizarre, it's like deja vu. So last year, the Cowboys, basically their playoff run ended against the 49ers on a similar kind of snafu where where Dak runs too long, too far down the middle of the field. He tries to spot the ball himself, which you're not allowed to do. The referee is trying to come up, fighting through the offensive line to re-spot the ball. They don't get the playoff, and it's like your season is over. So you're like, oh, well, it can't get any worse than that, right? Wrong. This was unbelievable. What was the plan? So, yeah, it was completed to Turpin. But there's nobody even in the frame to lateral I to. I don't think his feet even landed before Ward had contacted him and slammed him to like, the ground. Like, what just... was the plan? Like, did this work when you guys practiced it? Seriously. Maybe they just didn't. How do you have the balls to even call a play that stupid, that yeah. ridiculous? Did it Did it work in practice at all? I mean, surely it must have. But there's nobody. If he catches that ball, there's literally nobody to even lateral to. Yeah. Nobody was running behind him. Everybody on either side of him is standing still. Yeah. So you have like eight guys out of your 11 that are just standing there looking, doing nothing. How is that plan A? Yeah, I think give a little bit of credit to D'Amico. I mean, it was, it was never going to be a touchdown anyway, but that timeout, it, it seemed that what he told the 49ers was, Al Shire, you are bull rushing. And then he told, I think it was either Fred Warner or Greenlaw on the, on the top of the screen, but then he told Jimmy Ward. It, you, wasn't, you it wasn't Fred Warner. I think it was Greenlaw. Greenlaw. You could tell that what he told the two of them is like very clearly – with these porky offensive linemen, they've got very clearly they're setting up for a lateral either to this side or that side. The two of you, you are responsible for coming up. As soon as you see which side they're throwing to, you come up and you hit. Everyone else stay back. And the Cowboys, it was like they just assumed that we were going to give up that initial to lateral. Let them, yeah. Yeah, and and they didn't. They Ward fired right away, and he played an amazing game. He was so good in the slot. Um, really you know, CD Lamb put up good stats overall, but a lot of that was not against Jimmy Ward. And give him credit for just ending the game. And I don't know, did we even crazy. reference? Maybe you know, maybe again, I'm caught up in my deja vu here. But did we did we reference the Fred Warner interception? Jimmy Ward technically should yeah, have had he that. Have caught that, but at least, but but good play for it. Would not have happened. It would have just been a catch to Lamb had Jimmy Ward not stepped in front of it. Yeah, but Jimmy Ward, Fred Warner, even Ebicom blocked a you know, blocked the extra point, had a sack in this game. The defense just played great. So again, everyone talking about how the Cowboys are back, they're on fire, and the defense held them to 12 points when our offense was doing nothing. If our offense is on the field constantly scoring 30, 40 points, it's a lot easier for the defense who's getting rested, but that was not the case. Uh, the time of possession was was pretty even. The Niners did have them by about two minutes, but uh, you know nothing nothing crazy there. So so the defense was just absolutely lights out. And Fred Warner said that Shanahan kind of challenged them and said, "Oh well, Dallas's defense might be playing a little better than ours right now." <laughs> and that was kind of like the the f- adding fuel to the fire. 
and uh, the Niners defense, you just can't say enough. This was definitely one of those games where their defense kind of won the game for them. Yeah. Offensively, there's not a lot that's worth sharing statistically. I mean, Kittle led the team, of course, with, you know, he was targeted five times, caught all five for 95 yards, and they may have to replicate that against the Eagles with, with such good outside corners and pass rush. Purdy had no touchdowns in this game, so first time, yeah, first time, yeah he's had fewer than two. So, again, can't say enough about the job that Dallas did. I think the Eagles defensive coordinator is absolutely watching tape from this game and, and going to do his very best to replicate whatever Dallas did in this one. Yeah. So heading on to Philadelphia, a lot of discussion about that. Certainly we all have heard the stats. They had the most sacks, you know, in the NFL, they had four different guys with 10 sacks, which is just kind of, kind of staggering and hard to believe, you know, Eric Armstead had that one amazing year where he got to 10 sacks at nine and a half or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Hassan Reddick, Brandon Graham, uh, Javon Hargrave and Josh sweat all with 10 plus sacks, uh, in, in the regular season. And then you have Fletcher Cox just lagging miserably behind with only seven, uh, you know, as he comes towards the end of his, you know, debatably hall of fame career, He's not as good as Aaron Donald, but outside of that, I mean, he's been one of the most dominant defensive linemen in the league for the last decade, and <laughs> he's fifth on the team in sacks. Yeah, some other notable kind of stats or sort of analytics thing things that are being kind of passed along. If there's one area where the Eagles can be sort of had a little bit, it's that they do rank in the 20s in DVOA and advanced metrics in terms of stopping the run. So you hope that we will be more effective in the play action game because they will have to devote more people to stopping the run against us. And if you kind of scoff at like, Oh, I don't I don't go in for PFF grades. I, I hear you. And I was skeptical of analytics in football until you look at how predictive it was of the, the teams that are left standing, you know, all, yeah. All every team that is left right now is a juggernaut football team. Sometimes, you know, with the seating and the way it breaks down, you have a team that kind of sneaks in. So like the Giants, for instance, if they had somehow somehow managed to beat Philadelphia, they play one really good game. They are not in the same league as any of the remaining teams. In this case, it is all top seeds and every single team is an unbelievably tough out at this point. Yeah. As you look at it too, the Eagles, they don't just have an amazing pass rush. They have phenomenal. They have two top 10 corners in Darius Slay and, and Bradbury. You know, they, they ranked second and fourth in DVOA and advanced metrics against number one and number two wide receivers. If there's a bit of a crack, it's that they were 22nd against other wide receivers because they have a, a short slot guy and 24th against running back. So you think that to have a chance in this game, you're going to need big games from Kittle, from Juwan Jennings, uh, McCaffrey as a receiver, and maybe some plays from Ray Ray or Juice where you're yeah. you're running clear outs with Ayuk and, and getting something from them you know, over the middle. So Purdy was obviously pressured very heavily against Dallas, and we know to expect at least that much, if not more, pressure from the Eagles. So, you know, we know what they can do defensively. Offensively, they're not so bad either. As you mentioned, they rushed for, I think, like 742 yards uh, last week. So, um, you know, they can throw, they can run, they've got a mobile quarterback. They've got some really unbelievable wide receivers now that they traded for because the Titans just, you know, don't really want to be a successful football team for whatever reason. Although A.J. Brown did look a little gimpy. No one was really talking That's about true. this. That's true. But he was, he was limping a little bit, and then they ran a deep shot where he seemed to aggravate it even more. So he's not showing up too much on the injury report. Again, we don't want to win games if, you know, if people are injured. But if he is limited, that certainly would help the 49ers' chances, no doubt. 
for sure. So as we look ahead to championship weekend, uh, again, we're not a prediction podcast, but we've taken our, our crack at things. Who do you see coming out of the AFC representing him in the Super Bowl? Do you think Mahomes can, can gimp it out? You know, Kurt Gibson on that one leg, or you think Joe Burrow's too hot right now? I would not bet against Burrow and his ragtag team of offensive linemen. Um, what they did in the snow on the road, just wow. That's really impressive. And again, as you said, Mahomes might reach some other level of football godhood if he you know comes and plays on a broken ankle but uh, i i would not bet against the bengals at this point i think i'm with you i think i'm I'm riding team burrow there and then for the 49ers you know i'll i'll let you make your prediction i'll just tell you my head says that that philadelphia has the edge but football is not played entirely you know <laughs> on paper and dvoa and and things like that and it's so rare for the 49ers offense to be shut down. I just don't know that a team is going to do that two weeks in a row. So so my head says Eagles, but my heart says that, that we're going to the Super Bowl and that then we'll take care of business then too. What about you? Yeah, I'm not going to make a prediction on this one either, but I'm trying to remember, and I would encourage all of you to remember that no matter what happens this week, this was an unbelievable season. Yep. John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are really good at their jobs. If you don't agree, you are wrong. Sorry, that's just a fact. They are both really, really good at their jobs. Are they perfect? No. Are you perfect? No. How did you do at your job today? Tell me you didn't mail it in if you were working from home. Come on now. <laughs> so you should be thankful that we have a front office to be proud of, that you can actually be confident in, that is harmonious, that is working well. I don't know if we mentioned this last week, but we're about to get two more third-round draft picks. Yep, Rand Carthon. Yeah, Rand Carthon is now going to be the GM. So, so yeah, we get a, a third-round pick this year and then another third-round compensatory pick next year. You want to talk about the front office of this team. The entire front office is getting poached. So, yeah. obviously, the, the coaching staff, the entire coaching staff is getting poached. If Shanahan and Lynch are not good at their jobs, why – why is every single person in our personnel department and in our coaching staff in such demand around the league? Also, keep in mind, again, we're on our third quarterback. Brock Purdy is making history literally with every yeah. single pass he throws. So whatever happens against the Eagles, try and enjoy it. Um, again, this is the toughest opponent they faced all year. It's on the road in a hostile, hostile environment. So... I'm just trying to remind myself to to stay positive and appreciate again this team started out 3 and 4 last year we started out 3 and 5 and we're going to the NFC Championship for the second year in a row. So how many teams would kill to be in our shoes? Last year it felt like kind of an aberration. The Rams did not feel like a dominant team. They feel like kind of like a really underwhelming, like almost one of those years in American Idol where someone wins who now you've never heard of. Um, the Rams were not an elite team last year. This year it feels like any of the four teams who are left really are a deserving champion. Would have smoked them. It yeah. feels like if we lose to the Eagles this week, it's not because someone is to blame. It feels like, well... The Eagles are really good at football. football. Yeah, it's just, just football. So either way, we will be watching with lots of excitement. and <laughs> We are hoping to bring you two more podcasts in this season. Yes. We'll see how that goes. And then uh, then we'll end up doing the movie review for the Brock Purdy you know, Disney Disney movie that inevitably <laughs> is released uh, should, should this continue. So anyway, that's going to do it for us this week. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter for more 49ers content. We'll see you next week. We are the Niners Bros. <laughs>